Oh, wow. How you guys doing? Steven, this is what you see every week. I just, it's amazing to be... No, I'm only kidding. They removed my appendix, not my sense of humor. Okay. Oh, my. How's everybody doing? Was like, that was a good laugh. That was a good laugh. Okay. Oh, guys, I got to tell you, it is, uh, it is so good to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I'm not really able to sing, um, and I just want to encourage all of you out there um, listening to you guys this morning. Not every church is like us. Um, we are, we're so incredibly blessed. And I was so encouraged this morning just by hearing you guys. It's not an emotional passage. I don't know why I'm emotional this morning, but um, guys, I am so thankful for you. Um, I'm thankful for the spirit that God has here. At our church, well, there's one thing that'll stop me from crying, and that's, uh, that's talking about fishing. Um, those of you, sometimes I do cry when I fish, actually. Uh, but um, some of you uh, know that uh, I am an avid fisherman. Um, I love to fish. Um, and when I was younger, um, you know, you just kind of went to a body of water, uh, and you brought your fishing pole, and some tackle, and you just kind of hoped, you know, you, you hoped, you were like, well, this, this kind of looks good here, uh, you know, it's a big body of water, there's birds around, you know, I'm sure there's, there's probably some, something in there that, that I could catch, um, but now, having been experienced for years in, in fishing, um, before I go fishing, there's a lot that goes into the preparation of, of what I'm going to do that day when I fish. So some things that I think about before I go fishing, uh, what time of day, uh, what time of day am I going fishing? You know, if it's the summertime and it's, it's 90 degrees and at like, you know, noon or, or, or higher than that, um, it's not just because I don't want to stand out there sweating. Um, it's because, you know, the fish are just, uh, they're, they're in a different mood. I'm not, I'm not going to go fishing because they're not as active. They're trying to reserve their energy um, for the cooler times of day when they can, they can be more active and, and get a little more, um, a little more active when it comes to, to looking for bait. Uh, I look at the water temperature. I look at the water levels, the flow of the water. I look at the, the contour of the body of water that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at here. I have to consider, you know, what type of rod uh, to use um, at times. I have to consider whether it's, it's raining, whether it's sunny, whether it's cloudy, um, what the, the pressure is as far as the, uh, the barometer. Um, all of these things go into what it takes to actually give yourself a, a good shot at catching a fish. Not to mention what type of line am I going to use, what type of fly or lure am I going to use. Um, all of these things have to come together uh, to, to catch, a, catch a fish here. But there are a few things that, um, that kind of stand out. Um, and fishermen are notorious for this. Um, but fishermen have their spots, right? Like there's good fishing spots. Unfortunately, in this world, there are way more bad fishing spots 
than there are good fishing spots. Um, and a good fisherman can determine what a good fishing spot is. But in all reality, there's only one thing that separates a good fishing spot from a bad fishing spot. And that is the presence of one thing. What is that one thing? Fish. That's all that separates it. Are there fish in front of me? Can I reach these fish? That's what it takes. In our passage this morning, we're going to see several individuals um, who are focused on their spots. Um, We're going to see a man who is uh, lame from birth, and he actually has people that carry him to a good spot. But we're also going to see two other individuals that are concerned with with their spot here. Um, Last week, uh, Pastor Stephen did an excellent job um, bringing the word to us from uh, Acts chapter 2. And we saw um, a different side of the the early church. We saw a side of the church that gathered together. Um, They gathered together. They loved each other. We talked about the fellowship that they had with one another, the breaking of bread, devoting themselves to to, to prayer and to the apostles' teaching, um, and the fact that there were miracles happening inside of this camp that people from the surrounding area were, were, were hearing and numbers were added to them daily. They got into a daily routine of gathering together for the purpose of building up the body here. But what we're going to see today, we're going to have to ask a few questions about this daily routine that they're doing. And at the end of chapter 2 there, there is a phrase um, that we did briefly talk about last week. It said, daily they were going to the temple. So join with me in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 here. Um, And just a few side notes as you're turning there. Um, This chapter here, um, this beginning of chapter, these 10 verses here are actually part of a much larger story. Um, This is just the beginning. We are going to be in this story, this particular story of the apostles, two apostles, and this lame man and the religious leaders for four weeks. And we have to ask ourselves a few questions. Why is this story so important? Why does, it, why does it demand almost two chapters of the book of Acts here? What is so significant about this passage of scripture here? One of the things that we ended last week with is this idea that um, the early believers, the early Christians that were gathering together in the power of the Holy Spirit here, they had favor with all of the people. I think beginning in chapter 3 here, and definitely by the end of chapter 4, we're going to see the clouds start to roll in a little bit on this early church. That the people from the outside are going to look in, and they're going to be just a little bit wary of what's going on with this movement of the Holy Spirit that they're seeing here. So turn with me again to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Acts chapter 3 in verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. So we have just the setup of the story here. We have pieces being moved into place. One of the great things about narrative um, that I love is uh, this idea of characters. Okay, I love, I love characters in scripture. I love how they react to things. I love that we can identify and, and see, see emotions here. Um, but we see Peter and John. And they are going to the temple. Somebody share with me some things that happen at the temple. What happens at the temple in the first century uh, AD here? What's going on at the temple? We see one here. What do we see happens? Prayer, right? Prayer happens at the temple. It actually happens three times every day. What else happens at the temple? Sacrifice, right? Ooh. Wait a minute. John and, and Peter here. Why are you guys going to the temple? Like the sacrifice has been made. Why? Uh, by the way, John and, and Peter here, like this is the absolute worst place for you to be. I mean, the temple, that's where the religious leaders are. These are the individuals who took Christ before the Romans here and, and had him crucified. You are going to the enemy's gates in a sense. It's not like the religious leaders were like, you know what, we killed Jesus, we realized we made a mistake, and now we're going to be nice to you Christians here. Or it's not like, it's not like they're like, well, you know what, um, it's okay for you guys to, you know, to keep talking about Jesus inside of, of the temple here. The temple is not under new management, okay? These are the same individuals that stood there and as we see time and time again at the beginning of the book of Acts here, these are the ones who are responsible for crucifying Christ. These are the individuals who had the scriptures, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and they looked at Jesus and they said, this isn't it. And we're going to kill him. But John and Peter... This is where they're going. We have to ask ourselves, why? We'll find out here. They go to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they're going to pray. Um, now listen, in Jewish culture here, there were three times during the day that they were required to pray. This is the ninth hour, okay? The ninth hour and this hour of prayer is pronounced minka, which basically means gift or offering. Many times during this hour of prayer is when uh, individuals would bring their, their daily sacrifice to, to the temple here, to be sacrificed. Um, most of the time, it was a, a food offering, um, wheat or, or, or some sort of fruit or, or gold or silver. Anything that they had to give, they were ready to give at this hour. It wasn't a very long hour of prayer, um, and it did have a dual purpose. They were there to pray, and they were there to give an offering. So we come across this man. Verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called beautiful to ask alms for those who are entering the temple. You want to talk about a good spot, right? I mean, again, the man is lame from birth, which means he has never walked a day in his life, which means that for most jobs in the first century there, what was he able to do? Just about nothing. He had a group of friends, though, a group of people around him that were willing to carry him each and every day to this spot. We learn at the end of of chapter uh, four here um, that the man was over 40 years old. You want to become an expert at something? Do it for three years. Guarantee you. You will be an expert in your field if you can do it for three years. If you can do it for 10, you'll be a master. If you do it for 20, you will be leading your field in that area. This guy, for his entire life, has been a beggar. Unable to walk and getting a great spot every day. See, guys, what I want us to see here is that there aren't any mistakes. There's no happenstance. There's no chance when it comes to God, especially when it comes to divine appointments. When I'm fishing, um, I just went through all of the stuff that I talk about, but oftentimes when I catch a fish and I'm holding it in my hand, I, I think for a second, like that guy, when I was driving, that was going way too slow in front of me and I was frustrated with, and I could have been here five minutes earlier, that fish might not have been here. Or I think to myself, man, this fish is probably at least three or four years old. And sometimes I'll look at a fish and I'll look at its mouth and I'm like, no one has ever caught this fish. There's no scars, there's nothing. And I think about my entire life and how these two points came together at the right moment for me to be holding this fish here. My expeditions, my travels here, the things that take me around, they're not by chance. They're not by happenstance. The fact that John and and Peter are going to the temple here, it's not by chance. It's not by happenstance. See, not only does this man have a great spot who's sitting there while everyone is coming to the gate, coming through the gate to get into the temple with all of these gifts. And he's saying, hey, maybe I can get some of them. Maybe they will give a few to me. But John and Peter have a good spot, right? What's the difference between a good spot and a bad spot? The presence of what? Fish. What's at the temple, guys? Fish. What does Jesus tell us to be? Fishers of men. Guys, there's two sides to this early church. There's two sides to this life here. There is the beautiful side of gathering together, of fortifying, of edifying one another, of building each other up. But then there's another beautiful side. And it's the side where the body 
goes out. Peter and John find a good spot here. And they find a man who's in need. Our big idea today, for those of you who are following along in your notes here, when the name of Jesus is proclaimed, what is broken can be healed. This man is broken. He's been broken for his entire life. What we're going to see here is that Peter and John have a gift. A gift to give that this man has no idea about. He has no idea what's coming. Our expeditions here are God established. The application that we can take away from these two verses here, I feel like, guys, and this is how we're going to work through this passage here. There's a few questions I think we need to ask. Where are our, expe- our expeditions? Where are they taking us? Where is God directing us, right? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Where is God directing us? Where is he taking us? Are we making the most of the spots that we're placed in? Now, there's easy spots, right? There's, for some of us, it's our home. We live in an environment where not everyone knows the, uh, the, the wholeness that the name of Jesus can bring. That there are individuals within our family that need to hear the name of Jesus. For some of us, it's our workplace. It's where we go each and every day. And there are individuals there that God has placed us in a spot that he wants us to boldly proclaim his name. For some of us, it's our neighborhood. It's the people that we rub shoulders with every day. It's the lady at the grocery store. It's your mailman. It's the people that God keeps bringing into your life. Here's my encouragement to you guys. Be on the lookout for good spots. Be prepared for good spots. You know, Stephen and I, as elders of this church, we're told to be prepared to preach at the drop of a hat. We need to be ready in season and out of season. I think for all of us, we need to be ready each and every day. Peter and John, they were looking for a good spot and they found one. Verse three, seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I'm gonna stop right there. Uh, You need to understand something about Jewish culture here. There were very few things that were seen as more pious, more holy, more righteous than taking care of the poor. If you were willing to donate to the poor, you were seen as a very religious person, as someone who was righteous. Where does this idea come from? Well, it stems all the way back from the book of, to the book of Exodus, where God would explain to his children here that when there is a stranger in the land, that they were supposed to remember that they were strangers in a land. And that God was charitable, was gracious, was merciful to them. That when they were in the wilderness, God provided when they had nothing in the form of manna. 
This theme would continue throughout the entire Old Testament, even in passages that we have just recently gone through. The book of Ruth, where where are the poor mentioned in the book of Ruth? Somebody tell me. Come on. Go ahead, Ryan. After the workers go through, they were required to leave some on the ground behind. You want to talk about a righteous Jewish individual? Think about what Boaz actually does. He takes a stranger and not only, not only leaves some intentionally behind, but elevates her. We'll talk about this word in a sentence in a second, but he actually exalts her to a different status than what she deserves. But seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Again, when this man looked at Peter and John, he didn't see somebody different. He saw the line going by. These were just two guys in line to get into the temple. Verse four, and Peter directed his gaze at him and said, uh, uh, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Hang on a second. How do you look at someone but not really see them? How do you look at someone and not really see them? I grew up in Philadelphia. How many guys grew up in a a city environment? Raise your hand. Anybody here grew up in a city environment? Ted, there's things in the city, right? There's people in the city. There's a lot of people in the city. What do you usually see at stoplights and street corners? What types of people? All different kinds, right? Are there certain people that, Ted, I want you to be honest here. Are there certain people that you avoid eye contact with? For several reasons, right? Several reasons you would. How about people with signs? How about people that are begging? How about people that need help? You're in your car. Maybe you roll up the windows. Maybe you reach over and lock the door. Maybe you even say to your children, don't look. This man for 40 years has been on the ground. Uh, I work with children um, on a daily basis. Uh, One of the things that I like to do, uh, since I'm so tall, um, is when I'm speaking to a child, I I like to bend down. Um, I'll get down on one knee. Sometimes I'll even sit on the ground when I'm talking to them, and I'll just talk to them at eye level. Why? Because my wife knows for years it's hard to look up, right? Let alone kiss somebody up, right? I mean, it's, it's hard, right? It's difficult. This man for 40 years has had to look up. And he's learned some things over the years looking up. People don't necessarily like to make eye contact with him. Guys, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. There's people when their hurt is so bad, we look away. This man's hurt was so bad People have gotten used to looking away. They don't see him. 
They don't see his need. Peter looks at this guy and he says, hey, look at us. And this man, in anticipation, in expectation, he looks up and he makes eye contact with them, expecting to receive something. The reason we don't make eye contact with someone is because of shame and fear. And for 40 years, this guy has learned this lesson. That the only time people are willing to make eye contact with him is when they're going to give him something. And he looks up in anticipation here. Expectations. Guys, our expectations here in this story are about to be exceeded by faithful, godly men. The expectations of this man here to receive something that would sustain him for the day, that would get him through, because he's not a person with a real job. He's not a regular person. He is, in their mind, less. He is a burden to all of society here. And he's learned this for 40 years. And all he's expecting are some crumbs. Someone to have pity or mercy on him. That's all he's looking for. And he's been beaten down by life. His expectations are about to be shattered. Application for us guys here. I think we, we have to be fair and we have to ask ourselves, how do we fare at this point in the story? Are we just about our day? Are we not paying attention to the good spots, to the expeditions that God is, is taking us on? Are we so caught up in our own world and our own thoughts and, and everything that we don't see the need that is right in front of us? Are we engaging with this man? Are we giving him anything? This man is destitute. Would you provide any support? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. What does that verse mean? I, I, I think about parables a lot. I think about the man who was forgiven much. And then went out and found someone who owed him money. Began to choke him. Began to demand that the man pay him back. Guys, is this, is, this how we're, is this how we're called to live? Oh, but Pastor Billy, you don't understand. Times are really tough right now. Money's tight. No, I understand. Times are tough. Money's tight. I need this money. You need what God will give you. Do you have enough faith to step out in faith and say, you know what? It used to be, I would say, when I come across this passage here, I have five bucks for lunch and I need to eat today. Now, five bucks ain't getting you lunch. Uh, you know, I got $10, $20 for lunch and that's my lunch money for the day. That may be that guy's meal money for the week. Do you think God will sustain you for one meal in order for you to show mercy? To this man? And he looks up and he's thinking, oh, 
maybe I'll get a 10. Maybe I'll eat lunch today. Maybe I'll get something. His expectations are about to be shattered here. Verse six, and Peter said, I have no silver or gold. I was a salesman for many years. Okay. You're sitting with somebody, Ian, sitting with somebody. They love the vehicle, love the car, right? And then they're like, we don't know how we're going to afford it. And you're like, you know, I don't have a good credit score. You're like, oh, no. You know, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I thought I had a sale. Like that, that feeling, that deflating feeling. Dad, you felt it before, right? Um, someone once asked my dad, you know, how many times someone said no to him, you know, every day in sales. Dad, do you remember what your answer was? Depends how early I start it. I mean, you just get used to this feeling of like rejection and disappointment and loss. And he starts off by saying, I have no silver or gold. You're like, oh, great. What's this guy going to sell me? What's, what's he going to give me? He says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What? What? Rise up and walk? Get up? What faith? What power? What boldness? I, 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 I'm at a loss for words. Honestly, um, I, I often think about when I come to passages like this, what must Peter have been thinking, going through? You know, did, did God tap him on the shoulder? and was like, hey, lame guy there. Go ahead, raise him up. Is that what happened? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think that there are fruits of the Spirit, guys. I think that there are fruits of the Spirit. And if we are walking in the Spirit, those fruits overflow from us. It is impossible to keep them in. Okay? Several times in the book of Acts, we're going to read this phrase. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when they say full... It's like a waitress carrying a glass that is full to the brim and she's walking and she's got a limp, okay? This stuff is sloshing out all over the place, all over her hands, all over her people, everything, everybody that she's serving. It cannot be contained inside the glass. I don't believe that Peter receives an extra filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Peter is walking in the spirit and he sees a man and one of those fruits overflows. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. 
I mean, there's at least three or four of them in there that are spilling out. I think Peter looks at this man and his heart breaks. I think he has compassion. I think Peter is willing to derail going into the temple and maybe having an opportunity to preach in there to hundreds, thousands, as we'll see in a second, or in at least four weeks here, thousands for one man to take the time to bend down and say, I don't have gold, I don't have silver. What I have is more precious, more valuable, more powerful. Guys, is this not the message of Jesus Christ? What does he say to the woman at the well? If you knew who asked of you, who gave you this water? He says, this water, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Guys, Jesus has a power that surpasses anything in this world. And what Peter says to this individual is, I'm giving you something better than gold or silver. And he took him by the right hand, verse 7, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter is going to um, say something in chapter 4 here. He's going to explain exactly how this happens. Exactly how this is possible. And as Pastor Stephen read this morning from the prophet Joel, he's going to use those same exact words. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 here. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Peter's very clear. He's going to be very clear when he speaks to everyone. It's not Peter and John that did this good deed. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that accomplished it in this man's life. It is faith in the name of Jesus, in the power in the name of Jesus. Friends, there is power. There is power, power, wonder-working power. Not just in the blood, but also in the name. Peter uses that name here. Why? Because Peter has the authority to do it. As an ambassador. Pastor Stephen reminded us last week. He said, listen, you are not called to be. You are ambassadors. You are a light in this world. You are an image bearer. Go be it. Go do it in your expeditions. You will shatter expectations. And guess what? In the process, not only will you see the name of Christ exalted here, which it is in this passage. It is lifted high. It is raised high. You will see individuals 
exalted. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to see lame men walk here. I'm not talking about that sort of exaltation. What does the word exaltation even mean? I mean, we hear it, right? It's a religious sounding word, right? Here's a good definition of exaltation here. It's actually the second definition, so maybe it's the second best definition here. It is the action of elevating someone in rank, power, or character. Rank, power, or character. That is a good definition here of the word exaltation. This man is being raised up in power. We're going to see in a second. In character. And also in rank. We'll see that in a second here. Guys, the question we have to ask ourselves though, is Peter says it was by faith that this man was raised. Whose faith? Whose faith was it that raised this man? I think it's a valid question, right? Let's look more closely at verse 7. And he, who is the he there? That he is Peter. And he took him. Who is the second him there? lame man, right? The beggar. By the right hand and raised him, the man, the beggar, up and immediately his, the man, the beggar, feet and ankles were made strong. I'm going to make a case for you guys here based on what Peter is going to preach over the next several chapters here or the next two chapters. It was Peter's faith that healed this man. Not this man's. You say, Billy, why? How? It's the comparisons that Peter is going to make here in the next couple of chapters. He's going to make two unique comparisons. He's going to make the comparison of how Jesus was raised from the dead. How was Jesus raised from the dead? Who raised Jesus from the dead? God, the Father, raised Jesus from the dead. Who will raise us from the dead someday. Jesus will raise us from the dead someday. Guys, I want to make a case that this picture right here is a picture of what God does for each and every one of us. That God looks down. He has compassion on those who are in need. And the power of the name of Jesus Christ has the power to restore broken lives, broken People. It has the power to change lives, and he does it out of his own mercy and goodness for us, helpless individuals who are not able to raise ourselves. It's Peter's faith, it's John's faith. It is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. See, this man was expecting food. He was expecting silver. He was expecting gold. And his expectations are shattered. He gets something radically different. Something that for years, decades, centuries, thousands, people would want. 
he's literally touched by the Holy Spirit. And immediately, his feet and his ankles are restored to him. And he gets up. Application for us, guys. How has the name of Jesus changed your life? How has the gift of salvation changed your life? How different do you look from before Christ to after Christ? Are you looking like Christ? Guys, here's just a side question. John and Peter here, do they look like Christ? Do they look like Christ? Give me an answer. Yes, absolutely, 100%. How do they look like Christ? What gives them the power and the possibility to look at Christ, look like Christ? Who, who, what, somebody, give me the answer. The Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Here's my question, Christian. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the ability to look like Christ? Guys, forget your agenda. Forget what you had to do today. Look around. Look at your expeditions. Look where God is taking you. Have compassion on those who are in need. You guys, as a church, we do a great job inside the church. I've been a recipient this week. We do a great job inside the church. Where we struggle is when we go out there. We do. It's hard because it's different. It's scary. It's intimidating. People don't want to be told that they're wrong. People don't want to be told that they're living in sin. People don't want to be told that there's more to their life than what they're experiencing. Exaltations. Exaltations are inevitable when faith is placed in the name of Jesus Christ. Exaltations are inevitable when faith is placed in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, we'll see his reaction here. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Exclamations, guys. Shouts of praise to God. Exclamations and praises to God are impossible to silence when the power of Jesus' name is revealed. Exclamations and praises to God are impossible to silence when the power of the name of Jesus is revealed. This is a man whose life has been changed. We just asked the question in our last application, how does your life look different? It's fairly obvious how this guy's life looks different, right? I mean, it's obvious to everyone. Everyone sees him leaping, dancing. Guys, we talked about the, the fruits of the Spirit here. Love, joy. Guys, when people see your life, do they see a life changed by Christ? Do they see a life changed by his name? Does your life look radically different? Now listen, I know some of you came to Christ at an early age and you're like, 
I don't know the difference between when I was three and I was four. But here's my encouragement to you. Look at my life. Um, You guys are going to get some testimonies this week of individuals in our congregation that are desiring to become members here. Look at Noah and Jackie's life. Look at out the name of Jesus. Changes lives for eternity. Noah and Jackie are expecting, and we're excited about that. But that child does not have to experience the life they experienced. That child does not have to experience the life I experienced. That child's life can be a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ's name in the life of their family. This man here suffered for 40 years, guys. But he is no longer defined by those 40 years. He's defined by the name of Jesus Christ and the power that it has in his life. It is a new life. It is a better life. I want you to look for a second at the reaction of the people in verse 9. And all the people did what? They saw him. Did they see him before? Sort of. They weren't willing to look at him. They looked down upon him. Now the man is exalted. He's leaping. They literally probably have to look up at him. His position has completely changed. Guys, as we go through chapters three and four, uh, my encouragement to you this week, Look at how many times the word lifted or raised is used in those chapters there. This week, as you're studying, look at how many times. Look at how many examples. Guys, this man's life is radically changed by the name of Jesus Christ. This is new life in Christ. This is the difference It says at the end here that they saw him and they recognized him as the one who sat at the gate. And now he is leaping. Application for us, guys. Can can people see the difference the name of Jesus has made in our life? How are we showing it? Do Do we look like Peter and John here? Are we individuals that will take the time with those who are needy? Or are we too caught up in our own schedule? Are they not worth our time? Are they not worth the effort? I believe that James, I'm sorry, I keep wanting to say James and John. I believe, I probably said it a few times and I apologize for it. I believe that Peter and John here were not directly told to go to this man. This wasn't a situation where, uh, like Paul will see later, where Paul is literally told to go see a specific man, or Saul is told to go see a specific man, I believe that James and, or Peter and John were just walking in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to overflow in their life. So why this man? Why this story? Why is it here? I think the key to that is found in the very last 
phrase here. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Does this phrase sound familiar? Pastor Stephen, does this phrase sound familiar? Was it mentioned last week? Guys, we have two instances of wonder and amazement, awe and amazement. One happened inside the camp of the believers. This one happens in public, in a very open air setting. Peter looks at one man, one individual, and what we're going to see next week is that people come running when they hear this news. It cannot be silenced. It is an open, public proclamation of the name and the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why this story here? Because these two apostles took heart and they took action in a public place. They had compassion on an individual. And the word of God is being spread. The name of Jesus is being exalted. This had to happen in a public place. This is the first public healing done after the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's done on enemy territory. It's done behind enemy lines. And it cannot be hidden. It cannot be explained away. It cannot be seen as just propaganda. People cannot deny what they are seeing. Guys, in our lives, can people deny what they see? I mean, we hear phrases all the time. Yeah, that's good for you. That's what gets you through the day. That's what helps you to keep going on here. Is it more than that in your life? Is it more than just a crutch? Is it more than just something that makes you feel good about who you are? Or is it the fact that you are reflecting the image of Jesus Christ, just like these two apostles did for this poor man? Guys, I love you. I love you to death. I think we have one of the greatest congregations on the face of the earth. Um, I want to encourage you in your expeditions be looking for good spots your expectations get ready for them to be shattered exaltations will happen if you're exalting the name of Jesus Christ you will see others raised up the name of the Lord is powerful Guys, I want to come back together and I want to exclaim about it. I want to see people's lives changed by Christ. This is the reason we study the word. We're learning on Sunday nights, guys. We look at the word here and we say, okay, this is where we are today, Jesus. This is what you want us to look like. How do we get from point A to point B? What is your word trying to teach us here? Guys, my encouragement to you is wherever you are, be there for Christ. Be Christ there. Be a little Christ, a Christian. 